things on earth to me do the sand dance, don't you know? If they move too quick, go away, over falling down like a domino. All the bizarre men by the now they got the money on the bed. Go crocodile, ho, snap the teeth on your cigarette. Going top to the hooky pie. Hola. You're listening to another episode of Life in Paradise podcast with me, your host, Brandon Harper. Today's Sunday, August 14th, 2022, and I'm here and I'm happy to be with you. I just got back in town from a little road trip. I drove out to Tyler, Texas to be with some family. We had a relative pass away. Might touch a little bit more on that in the show, but I might not. I haven't decided yet. I've got some notes things to talk about, some current events, and yes, it's only been one week since I've done a show, so please, please give me a little pat on the back if you don't mind, I'm proud of myself. If you don't know me, I'm just a regular dude with a regular job and lots and lots of opinions. I come here about once every week or so to get them off my chest. Some you'll agree with and some you won't, and I'm perfectly okay with that. We can still be friends if you want to, I'll leave it up to you. If there's one thing this world needs more of, it's people that disagree without being disagreeable. And that's my goal. I share a lot of opinions. Some of them are controversial, and that's okay. The only thing I ask is that you don't judge me unless you know me. Because a lot of times people can take words out of context if they don't know the content of the character, of the individual. I just made that up on the fly, and I kind of felt like I sounded like Martin Luther the King. If there's one thing you'll know about me, it's that I don't do pre-recorded intros. I am, however, a big fan of cryptos. Man, I'm on a rhyme roll today. Sit back, relax, and let me have the key to your ears for about the next 30 to 45 minutes. Thank you for having us out here today. We appreciate that. We appreciate y'all, too. Man, I've got to shorten up those intros. Here's why. Because I try to put music in there, and my intros are getting so long that they're lasting longer <laughs> than the songs that I'm putting in there. So i got to do some trickery so that you don't notice when the song starts over halfway through the intro. I don't know why I give away my secrets, especially for free. As I briefly mentioned, I uh, just got back in town for a, uh, I was out of town at a funeral. One of my uncles passed away, who I was pretty close to as a child. Um, Later in life, we we grew kind of apart, just as people do. We live in different areas. We ran in different circles. So we kind of lost touch over the years, but it was good to go back and see family and and pay my respects. Um, He was a hardworking individual. I admired him a lot. Um, he did a lot of good things for a lot of people. A lot of things went unnoticed, and I think um, I think it was good. Good to go back and, and see everybody. But in my typical fashion, one thing that I'm known for is driving back like in the middle of the night or after an event ends, and I'm supposed to stay the night. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go back. And so I left Tyler, which is about seven hours away, at six o'clock p.m. And about halfway through the trip, I noticed that. One of my tires was showing steel, like it was it's worn down and the rubber is cracked. And by this time it was like nine thirty, you know, on Saturday night. I'm just outside Houston and I'm thinking, oh no. Like, I don't know. I've never even looked for the spare tire in my car. I don't know where the tools are. Yeah, I know. I sound like a 
a 15-year-old. But either way, I was like, well, I'm just going to keep going. If the tire blows up, I'll sort it out. And I wouldn't have done that if somebody was with me uh, or, or I wouldn't encourage anyone to do that. I've made some bad decisions in my life. But either way, I made it home safe. I say all that to say this. Well, I also spent an hour at a dead stop north of Houston waiting on an accident to get cleared. So I made it home about 1.30, 2 o'clock, I think. But I got to thinking, please, Elon, please give me the self-driven cars. There's nothing more I want right now when it comes to vehicles other than a self-driving car. You know, I see all these guys on YouTube, and they're, they're posting themselves in Lambos and Bentleys and all this stuff, and I'm thinking, man, I don't care about any of that. I just want the car to drive itself and be quiet and be smooth. I don't care if anyone knows how much it costs. That doesn't matter to me. Just let me sit there and do my own thing and be driven. I'm so looking forward to that. And it's coming eventually. I know i got to be patient, but, man, our, our days are limited, you know. I want to I wanna maximize this thing, and I'll be the first to go buy one. I don't care. I don't care if they're dangerous. That I mean, you know, if they're going to release it to the road, they're going to put it out there in the market. It's going to be safe enough for, for guys like me to get into. And so that reminded me, as, as it typically happens when I start thinking about technology and how, how far we've come. And it just so happens that Friday, August uh, 12th, was the anniversary of when the first Model T came off the assembly line. And that was in 1908. And the price of a Model T in 1908 was $895. And to me, when I heard that, I thought, man, that that seems kind of expensive. So I started to do some digging. And I figured out that in 1910, which was the first data I found close enough to 1908, the average income was $574 a year. Which even more interesting is that state and local government workers was about $700 a year. So like 20% more to work for the government back then, which I found interesting because now government employees probably make quite a bit less than private sector employees. But this was before the big industrial revolution, I guess, or right at the beginning of it. So the first car to ever come off the assembly line, you're looking at about one and a half to two years salary to buy it. And I didn't look, but I, I don't know if they carried financing. I suspect, no, you had to actually save money and pay for things back then. You couldn't just borrow the money to buy stuff. But either way, that, um, that $895 in 1908 is equivalent to $28,000 today. So I thought, huh. So this is just kind of a little insight into how my, my little pea brain works. I thought, what kind of car can you get today for $28,000? And how much is that in terms of the average salary? And so I came up with the, the Ford Fusion is the first one that I found, a $28,000 car. That's with average options. And so I got to thinking, man, look, look how much efficiency we've gotten. We went from a car that could barely go 65 miles an hour to a car that could go, I don't know, 120, 130 miles an hour with all kinds of bells and whistles and options and air conditioning and heating and all that stuff, and it only takes about half of the household income, maybe a third, right? The average household income in 2021 was somewhere around seventy dollars to $80,000. Obviously, it depends on where you live, if you're in California or New York or Texas or Corpus Christi. And so that shows you what kind of efficiency we've picked up. And this is all due to one thing, and that's capitalism. That's the ability for people to seek profits, 
All these people who say, you're just a greedy capitalist seeking evil profits. Well, the good side of that is that we can now buy a car for half of an annual salary, a household income, that can do way more than a car could do in 1908. And so in just, what, 120, 112 years, something 120, 114 years, I'm not too good at math on the fly, 114 years, we went from a car that can barely go 60 miles an hour, that's got no power steering, and you got to, like, crank the handle to start it, and it's got a double clutch in this complicated system, to a car that you Bluetooth audio, heated mirrors, reclining seats, for half of the annual income in comparison and I got to thinking, wonder what it would cost to build a Model T today. You know, think about how cheaply you could build a car that just provides the same functions as a 1908 Model T. And I bet you you could do it pretty cheap on a mass scale. It'd be a fun question to ask Papa Elon. You know, what if you could produce Model Ts, what would what would they sell for? And it might not be much different than what they sold for in 2008, which is remarkable considering the amount of inflation that we've had since then, right? In 1908, a pound of butter was 26 cents, a dozen eggs was 23 cents, a pound of rice was 7 cents, a washing machine was $4.75, and a bicycle was $16.75. So then my next thought was, okay, so we have the efficiency increases, we have all this capital that flowed in and investors that are looking to seek profits and because of that, we now have cars that can do things that the Ford Fusion can do, and, and far beyond that, but we're just talking about one specific price point. So then I thought, okay, what, what could have happened differently that would have made it even more efficient than what it was? What, what could we be doing that would allow cars to be even more advanced for a lower price than what they are now? And there's only one answer to that, and that's called regulation. That's the the mandate that the government says, oh, you have to do this and the car has to do that. And for those of you that don't know, there's all kinds of laws in place that the government says that cars have to meet a certain safety standard and they have to operate, you know, a certain amount of emissions and all this stuff is specified by law. And I know there's lots of people out there saying, we can't just have cars that are dangerous and making dirty smoke everywhere they go. And, you know, I, I can't say whether you can or can't. I'm just bringing up a point that I wonder how much more efficient cars would be or technology would have gotten had we not had those advancements. Or, sorry, had we not had those regulations. And I don't know for sure, but I think that the U.S. has cheaper cars than anywhere else in the world. I think most places tax them, which it would be interesting to see that, you know, there, there's cars that, companies produce like toyota for example that aren't available to be sold in the u.s and so they send them into other countries all over the world that don't demand these regulations and so i would assume they're quite a bit cheaper the problem is that these countries they put a big tax on cars by the government because their governments are too inefficient to run the country in a way that generates money for them so what they have to do is they have to put a tax on things that come in and then force the consumers to pay that tax, and then that money goes back into the government coffers. But to circle back to my original point, this is why I will always bet on America. This is why I always will invest in American companies 
unless the government just keeps getting squirrelier and squirrelier, I don't think they'll ever be too constrictive to a point where other countries come out ahead. So regardless of how stupid the government gets, how wasteful they are, how many dumb regulations they enforce, investing in U.S. companies, investing in the future of the U.S. is probably your best bet. If we went from a Ford Model T to a Ford Fusion for nominally the same cost, right, the $28,000 equivalent, whether it's in 2021 or 1908. So we have the, the advance there, and we also have the fact that people make, you know, it's, it's half of an annual salary instead of double an annual salary. So those, those are two factors that show the exponential efficiency that we've gotten. Now, where are we going to be 100 years from now? Who knows? But I can guarantee you that we won't be driving our own cars. If, if we're not trading guns, bullets, and beer, if we're not going back to the, the 1600s, then we won't be driving our own cars. I hope it happens much sooner because I always say, imagine how you could redesign the inside of a car if you didn't have to do it around a driver. That would be amazing. One more thing about cars, and then I'm going to move on. I also think, and I've said this before in a past show, but I think that um, fewer people will own cars because they're, they, they won't have the need to just have them at their own disposal because the, the cars can be driven anywhere by themselves, right? So you may go in on a carpool. You may share a car um, across five or six people, and you all work your schedules accordingly, and the car just drops someone off, goes and picks someone up, drops them off, and then nobody's faced with the extra burden or the inefficiency of a car just sitting around not being used. Because anyone who has a, a business that uses equipment will tell you, if that equipment's not moving 60% of the time, then you're better off not having it or paying someone else to do it. And so we lose a lot of efficiency by cars just sitting around not being used because we want them at our disposal. We want to be able to say, oh, I'm ready to go somewhere now. I'm going to get in my car and I'm going to go. And that's great. That's a huge luxury that most countries don't have. But the next step in that is to not have to be burdened with that if you don't want to. You can, you can cut your travel expenses down by quite a bit if you just pay you know, per mile that you travel. And everyone else does the same thing. So there's no need for you to spend a bunch of money on a car that sits around. You'll be able to just take out your phone, push a button, I want to go here. The car will arrive, and you'll go, and you'll get out of the car. You may never see that car again. So... There, there will always be people who own cars because it's, it's part of our culture. It's part of our history. I mean, I say that three or 400 years from now, may, maybe there won't be. I don't know. But for the next 100, 150 years, people will always own cars. And there will be one day at which people will have to, like, make their own gasoline. Or gasoline will be too expensive for people to even have it around or, or, or store it or use it. Now, it's going to be a long time from now. It's not going to happen overnight like Joe Byron thinks. You're not going to force the oil companies out of business. But over time, we will gain efficiency and something will replace the internal combustion engine. And then gasoline will, will be like horses or gas cars will be like horses. There'll be people who have them because they like them. They're not really needed for anything. They're kind of a luxury item. And that's, that's what will happen with cars. Speaking of Joe Biden and inflation, if you haven't heard... Our brilliant government and all their infinite wisdom have passed what's called the Inflation Reduction Act. And I just, I see these things and I just cringe. I just, 
I, I just bite my tongue and shiver a little bit. And here's why. Because they name these bills things that make people want to support them. Or they make people look stupid for not supporting them. Because to the average person who doesn't take the time to go research and look into this bill and see what all it covers, which, hey, you know what? There's a lot of people that want nothing to do with it. They don't care. They got more important things to do. And, and I get it. And that's why I'm here is to hopefully bridge that gap because I enjoy that type of thing. It's interesting to me. And it may not be interesting to you to go read it, but maybe it's interesting to you to hear about it, and I can bridge that gap. And so that's, that's my goal. So the Inflation Reduction Act. Now, we've talked about inflation quite a bit. You should have a pretty good understanding if you've listened to all my shows talking about inflation uh, and why it's here and what's caused it. So I'm not going to go too far into that. But just keep in mind that inflation is call, caused from excessive creation of money and excessive spending of money. I don't want to hear about the war in Ukraine, Putin. You know, this is the first time we've ever had a quote-unquote war that people say, oh, it's causing inflation. Well, we didn't have... We had inflation after World War II, but it's not from the war. It's from the printing of money. People don't understand this, but I promise you, I'm not lying to you. Inflation is caused from creation of money. Now, keep that in mind. So Joe Biden, and you know, th this is what we have to be aware of. We have to be aware of people creating these bills that don't do what the name of them says, which seems absolutely preposterous to me. If you haven't heard of the Wharton School of Business, they're probably the highest regarded business school in the country. They're up, they're up there with Harvard and Yale and all these, you know, these hoity-toity guys who study business their entire life. Now, granted, most of them don't conduct business. They don't know what it's like to do payroll, but they study business at a very, very high level. They study macroeconomics, fiscal policy, monetary policy, all the things that are very, very boring to most people but are very important to the way our economy works. And so the Wharton School of Business analyzed this bill that the government has signed, and, and it's, going to, it's going to become an, a law, I guess, uh, where the money gets allocated to what's, what's in the bill. And so they said, hey, this, uh, this bill will have zero or negligible, so basically no impact on the reduction of inflation. And it blows my mind that these politicians think that we are this stupid, that we're this dumb to not be able to look at this bill or, or look at people who look at the bill and understand it and say, yeah, this really isn't going to reduce inflation at all. Because remember, inflation is caused through creation and spending of money. What does a bill do? It creates and spends money. And I know you've probably seen some of the headlines, but one thing this does is gives more subsidies to green energy companies. And I've been racking my brain trying to figure out why is the government so hell-bent on pushing this green energy agenda? And I know, I know the average person might say, We have to do something to protect the environment. You're such a greedy capitalist you don't even understand. And I don't think that's why. I don't think that these people care about the environment. If they did, they'd ride a city bus. They'd ride the train. They wouldn't ride in the back seat of a Lincoln Town Car with them and one driver. They'd, they'd ride in a carpool or the new Uber rideshare. Or they'd fly commercial. They'd fly Southwest Airlines. But no, no. They fly around their private jets. They get driven 
you know, one person at a time. They don't they don't worry about themselves. They want to put laws into place that make everyone else feel the burden of this. And so the two big industries that they're going to subsidize are the chip manufacturers, which I talked about this a while back, but they're going to give money to technology companies so that we have to be able to compete with China. Well, the reason we can't compete with China is because you idiots put all these regulations in place that gives China an advantage over us. So instead of removing the regulations, they're going to just put money into the industry. And that seems ridiculous to me. The guys who run these technology companies have more money than they know what to do with. And we still want to give them more money from the government. So it's green energy and it's these technology companies that are about to get paid. And you're going to see their stocks are going to go through the roof. This happened a while back with this company called Solyndra. It was a stupid company that someone started. They got all kinds of subsidy money. And then they boomed and then they busted. They went out of business. All that government money completely wasted. Because the government is terribly inefficient at allocating money. Another thing this bill does is hires 87,000 IRS agents. I think that's like double of what they currently have. So let's just say that 87,000 IRS agents get hired. And you should see the ad that the government posted for these people, which they've now taken down, but it was on the whitehouse.gov website. And it said like, you need to be able to carry a weapon. You need to work all hours of the night. You need to be able to work 50 hours a week. You need to be on call. I mean, it sounded like they were SWAT team members, but either way. So let's just say that we take these 87,000 government employees, these extremely lazy and inefficient slugs, and we pay them each $70,000 a year, which is probably on the low side. But let's just say we pay them $70,000 a year. That comes out to $6.1 billion in payroll. Now, do you think that these people who run the government say, well, we're going to spend $6.1 billion in payroll, um, but you know, we're only going to recover $3 billion more in taxes, so you know, we're still going to go backwards. No, that's not how it works. They put these people in place expecting to recover more than what it cost them to put them in place. So they hire 87,000 people. They pay them $6.1 billion. They probably expect these, these scoundrels to go out there and beat up businesses and extort Maybe double that. So maybe they're going to go produce $12 billion more in tax revenue. And you've heard, I'm sure you've heard a lot of people say, oh, but they're just, going to, they're just going to go for the billionaires and the really rich people. It never works this way. Never. Remember when Obama told you your health care wasn't going to go up? Remember when Bush told you that there was no new taxes? And they all just lie. Well, if they're only going to go after the billionaires, there's only like 780 billionaires in the country so so why do you need 87,000 IRS agents to go after 700 something billionaires I'll tell you where you need to go you need to take 87,000 IRS agents and send them over to the Ukraine they'll find a lot of hidden U.S. money there most of it's got Joe Biden's name on it Nancy Pelosi Mitt Romney all these people got money stashed over there and no I'm not just a right-wing conspiracy theorist so get ready your taxes are going to go up. You're going to have to pay more so that that way, you know, we can, we can turn around and give the money to green energy and, and windmill and solar, which I have nothing against green energy and windmill and solar. I, I, I've, I think we should be trying to innovate. But the idea that the government needs to get involved and the government needs to tell us what we need to push and what 
energy we need to use is just stupid. Every time the government gets involved with something, they screw it up. I've never had one person tell me, oh, well, the government did this and that was good. The only thing that I can think of was initiate the interstate highway program. You know, the government got behind that. And, I, and I'm okay with the government providing infrastructure. That's fine with me. I'm not okay with the government going to certain industries or sectors and saying, you get some money, you don't get any money. You get some money, you get some money, and you don't get any money. That's not a good position because it screws people over and it gets other people hooked on the tit. Look at our farming industry. We couldn't survive without the government. And I know a lot of people say, well, then we have to have them. They have to keep supporting them. They couldn't survive without them. No, we will find a way to innovate. Maybe prices of food will go up a little bit. That's still cheaper than people giving tax money to the government and then the government giving tax money to the farmers. It's better if we just give it to the farmers. And yeah, the prices might go up, but it would still be a lower loss, if that makes sense. If I give the government a dollar, they're going to turn around and give it to the farmers so the farmers can produce food at a lower cost to us. That's how a subsidy works, okay? I probably didn't do a good job explaining that, but here's how it works. My name is Bill. I've got Billco Farming Company. The government says, hey, we're going to give you some money to offset your expenses so that you can sell your corn at a lower cost to the people because the people should have a right to buy corn and they shouldn't have to pay too much for it. So we're going to give you money. We know China can make corn cheaper than we can, but we want to support our economy and we want to keep our farmers in business. So the government takes, let's just say, $10 in taxes from Brandon Harper. And they say, okay, we've now got us $10 in taxes. Now, we're going to give some money to the farming industry to make sure they can provide corn at a a fair price. And so how much do they give to the, the farmer? They don't give them the $10 because some gets lost along the way. They have to pay the people to process all the paperwork, to take in the tax money, to to move the money around. There's costs associated with all this. And remember, the people who work for the government are not motivated by efficiency. They're not trying to do things fast or efficient or quickly or thoroughly. They're just doing their job, and they're clocking in, and they're doing work, and they're clocking out, and they're going home. So let's just say that 30% gets lost in the transaction. So now the government takes in 7 I'm sorry, the government takes in 10 they, three gets lost along the way, and they give seven to the farmer. It would have been better if I could have just given seven to the farmer, and I still have that extra three. You follow me there? There is no more efficient way to do things than the free market economy. This is why we have what we have in this country. This is why we've become the world's most powerful country in such a short amount of time compared to the rest of the world. It's because... We do let economies work. We, we let the, sorry, we do let markets work. But we still interfere with them a little bit. And we could be more efficient if we didn't, if we just let the market do its thing. We limited the power of the government. We didn't let them allocate money to different businesses. I feel like had our forefathers known that it would look this way, they would be disgusted. They would say there is absolutely no place in the federal government to take money in in the form of taxes and distribute it to businesses. That's the whole thing. The reason why that we left the United Kingdom, that we revolted, we said, we're tired of your ways. We don't like the way you do it. We're doing it ourselves because the king would take in money from everyone. He would go to all these people and take all their money 
And then he would give some to these guys and these guys and these guys. And the people who founded our country said, that's bullshit. That's not fair. We don't like it. In fact, we're going to take all your tea that you're trying to tax and we're going to throw it into the water. We're going to call it the Boston Tea Party. Okay. All right. All right. I know. I'm ranting. Ranting about the government is one of my specialties. I try not to do it too much, but I know I I do it quite frequently. All right. I'm going to talk about something else. It's a touchy subject. No one likes to talk about it. They feel awkward when they start talking about this kind of stuff, but not me. I'm fine talking about it, talking about it to anybody. A couple weeks ago, it came out. Maybe it was last week. I don't know. I lose track of time. But it came out that four Muslims were killed in Albuquerque. And the president comes out. He says, there's no, uh, no, no reason for uh, this hate, hateful, hateful crime. And uh, where's my applesauce? I mean, uh, yeah. So he came out. And he tried to say how bad it was, these hate crimes. These, these Muslims are being killed, and we just can't stand for it. We have to stop it. We have to prosecute these people for hate crimes. The ACLU, all these people came out, were barking about it. Well, come to find out, it wasn't a white supremacist. It wasn't even a white person. It wasn't a Mexican. It wasn't an Asian person. It wasn't an Indian. It wasn't a Russian. It was not a Ukrainian. It was not an Uzbekistanian. It was another Muslim. It was another Muslim. And do we talk about hate crimes when Sunni and Shiite Muslims kill each other? No, we don't. We only talk about hate crimes whenever it's a white person that does the trigger pulling. So let me break down this case for you. There was a guy. He had a daughter. I think this, this guy was... Uh, back, let me back up a little more. In the Muslim sect, in the Muslim faith, there's two sects. S-E-C-T-S, not S-E-X. So there's two types, maybe even more, but two that I know of called the Sunni and the Shiites. And these guys hate each other. I don't know much about them. I don't know what they believe. I don't know the differences in what they believe. But I know that they hate each other's guts. And so what happened was there was one guy that was either a Sunni or a Shiite. I don't know. It doesn't matter. And he had a daughter. And the opposite team was after his daughter. I think that they were trying to date her. They wanted to be with her. One of the guys was pursuing her. And so the dad got mad and he went and he killed four of these dudes in the name of Allah. And he, he shot them all. And they didn't really know who did it. So they automatically assumed it was a white supremacist that was doing the killing. And if that's not the epitome of being judgmental, if that's not the epitome of generalizing, I don't know what is. These people have pushed this so far that people automatically assume that when a Muslim dies, it's a white person killing them. Now, let me flip that around. Let me just say, well, if, if an old white man is shot in the street, well, it must have been a black guy. We have, to, you know, we have to stop all the black people. Yeah, no, we don't say that, and we shouldn't. We should never jump to conclusions. I feel the exact same way about this whole Trump raid situation. You know, The FBI storms his house. They go through it. They find the boxes. All of a sudden, both sides of the media, which is stupid that we have sides of the media these days, but we do. Both sides, one side's taking Trump's side saying, oh, they're politicizing the FBI, and blah, 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 they're out to get him. The other side's saying, that son of a bitch has got classified documents, we need to hang him. I'm just sitting here thinking, like, this, this is all within 10 minutes of knowing that his house is getting raided. Why don't we just call a timeout and say, wait a minute, if he's got boxes of baby parts, he's in big trouble. If he's got boxes of documents that he shouldn't have, okay. Maybe he's in a little bit of trouble. 
we have to just wait and let the smoke clear. But people are so tribal. They're so my team, your team, that they can't even stop and look around and say, time out. The FBI raided him. We'll have plenty of time to jump down their throat if we figure out they're doing shady stuff. But until then, let's just stop and see what they're doing and what's happening. You know, I said the same thing about the George Floyd case and the Kyle Rittenhouse case, and I lost a friend over it. I lost a friend because I wasn't willing to take a side during the trial. And I guess I have to be okay with that because I'm not going to be forced into taking a side when I don't see all the evidence. I don't, I don't have all the data in front of me. I'm not going to just pick a side based on what I hope the outcome is. That's what gets us into trouble. People are picking sides based on what they hope is the truth. Now, going back to the, you know, some, some instant blame game of the, of the white people killing the Muslims, you know, I, I'm tired of people acting like white supremacy is prevalent in this country because I'll tell you what, it is not. It is not prevalent. Do you know any white supremacists? Do you know any people that, that think black people or people of color are idiots because of that? Or, or do you just see on the news that people think that, and so you begin to think that those people exist? Because I live in the Deep South. I live in a city where I'm a minority. I don't see racism. I don't see it. I don't, I don't see people who hate people based on the color of their skin. It's just there's not many of them. Are there some? Sure. Are there some neo-Nazis out there that think Hitler was the greatest thing ever? Yeah, there are. There are a few out there. But there's not many. You don't know any of them. You don't, you don't know any skinheads. Maybe if you've been in prison, you might. But generally, the general public, these, these supremacists, they don't exist. We have to stop it with the... Everything is racist. All the time. We have to stop it because it, it will eventually cause us to split. If you want to convince someone they're racist, just tell them they're racist long enough, and eventually they will be. People are different. People have different values. Different cultures, they want to be around people that are like them. And that's okay. That doesn't make them racist. We need to stop it with this. Oh, we need more black this. We need to have a black that. I heard the other day some, some military leader in the Air Force was upset at the number of white pilots that we have. And that we need more black pilots. We don't. We don't need more white or black anything. Well, I will say, oh, you know what? Sometimes I say we need more Indian people in this town so that we can have more Indian food. But that's, that's different. You know what I'm saying? We don't need to say that we need more white or black anything just, just based on some, something that we feel. We need the most qualified people doing their best fit jobs that we can possibly get. And if we have that, the world will be fine. The world will be efficient. We'll all get along. Everyone will do great. But the minute that you start giving people positions based on the color of their skin is the minute you divide this country. You think I'm kidding? Imagine if you had applied to a college and you outperformed people that got selected over you and you studied harder and you went to class more and you worked harder for your test grades, but because you're not a minority, you didn't get accepted. Do you think that would create animosity? Do you think that that would make you bitter towards those types of people, it probably would. It probably would. And we can't just accept people into positions because of the color of their skin. That, that is doing the exact same thing that the problem that they're trying to fix. They're trying to make it equal. Well, the 
equal is equal. Equal is opportunity. We have to give people the opportunity. That's all we're guaranteed. We don't have to give people a leg up. Because when you give someone a leg up, you're taking, else, you're taking someone else's leg down. You can't award things without necessarily taking something away from someone else. There's only a limited number of spots in colleges. We can only have this many people attend. If we guarantee that we're going to put this many people of this color, we're also going to guarantee that we're going to exclude this many people of this color. And even if you throw out the black and the white and the skin color, if I went to you and I said, hey, colleges are accepting people based on their skin color, you would say that's a terrible idea. But if I said, well, they're accepting minorities more than whites, you might say, well, you know, that's not so bad. But if you think about it and you're honest about it and you're not worried about what your friends will think, you'll probably agree with me. If you don't, I'd love to talk to you on here. I would love to hear the perspective of someone who says that accepting people into positions based on the color of their skin and not their merits or accomplishments is a good thing. I really would like to hear someone's perspective on that because it is so far from reality for me that I can't even fathom what the argument would be. And that kind of leads me back to my, my opinion that, you know, political warfare is just getting started. We're just now seeing this happen where, where politicians are using race as a, as a topic, as a divider be between the classes of people. And that is a dangerous, dangerous position to be in because the, the government, as long as they can keep us divided, then they don't have to worry about us calling them out. And let me tell you this, all groups divide eventually. Now, I don't mean like all groups that are white and black will split into those categories, but when the government pushes it, when they, when they help drive that wedge, it can lead to that. You think of stories of, about groups that divide. It happens all the time. Think about uh, the Lord of the Flies, right? A group of guys get stranded on an island, and, and before you know it, they're in two different teams, and they're at war with each other. You know, you think about groups in the workplace, right? You've got, you've got two different classifications of people. Take, for example, the, in the construction industry. You've got the guys in the field, and you've got the guys in the office, and they, they will end up dividing at some point. You have the team field, and you have the team office because people assimilate with the people that, that are most like them. And that do things similarly. And they don't they don't associate or they don't group themselves into well, this is the the white guys and this is the Mexican guys. They group themselves into groups based on common interests, commonalities. This is why wealthy people and poor people don't hang out together. And it's not just that wealthy people don't want to be around the poor scum of society, because poor people they don't want to be around wealthy people either. They don't they don't have anything in common with them. A poor person would much rather hang out with another poor person that has different skin color than a poor per than a wealthy person of the same skin color. And that's just the way people are. We surround ourselves with people like us. And the minute you have the government jumping in and saying, oh, you people and you people, you need to be divided. Now, obviously, that's not what they're saying directly, but their actions are doing that to us. So my theory is that all groups will divide eventually. And, and because of human nature, because of our tribalism and the way that we operate, that needs to happen naturally. That needs to happen based on how we say that it should happen, not on how the government says it should happen. And there's a little, little piece of me that thinks that the government or, or those types of people who are running the government are kind of aware that the, the groups of people or, or, or the group would divide 
based on class and social status and because of the fact that the the lower classes or the normal social status the you know the the non uber elites there's way more of those people than there are of the uber elites and so because these people at the top have the ability to divide us based on what they say it keeps them from being against the grain right if if everyone who made $100,000 a year or less united against the people who made $100,000 a year or more, the, the rich people would have a big problem on their hands. And I think that, you know, it may be subconscious. I don't know. I hope it's subconscious because the idea of someone creating division in order to protect themselves is just something out of an of a evil movie. And I really do hope that the technology that we're seeing in the, the personal communication devices and then now coming the blockchain will give us the ability to unite with each other and, and communicate without being infiltrated and influenced by these huge conglomerates that have agendas. Because I'll tell you what, if it comes down to it and we got to split and I got to choose between, am I going to go with the rich people or the poor people? I'm going with the poor people. There's more of them. I like them more. I, I communicate with them better. I have more in common with them. And it kind of it kind of makes me, you know, a little bit cocky. Like, oh, yeah, you guys want to go to war? You're screwed. You're, the, the rich people would be screwed if all the poor people united against them. There's nothing that they could do. So, like I said, all groups eventually divide. Let that division happen. You don't need someone else saying, well, this should divide you and this should divide you. It's going to happen. You watch. It's going to happen. Things will keep escalating until this whole house of card crumbles down to pieces. And I just hope that the division occurs based on how the people choose and not what we're being fed by these wealthy media conglomerates who don't know anything about the real world. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to title that section. I'm going to file it under... Be kind to people, comma, don't divide them, and feel free to associate with whoever you want to associate with, colon, backslash. You know, I try to be straightforward with you. I try to tell you what I love about this country and what I don't love about this country. And what I'm about to tell you may strike a chord with you. You may think to yourself, you're just a picky, arrogant son of a bitch. And maybe I am. I don't know. But one thing that this country does wrong, that other countries do right, and I think I know why. I think I know why this happens. And I'd like to know if anyone disagrees with me. But one thing this country does wrong, extremely, extremely wrong, is hotel breakfasts. Now, there are some nice hotels that have really good breakfast. But for the most part, our chain hotels, the Holiday Inn, the Hampton Inn, the Marriott, the Courtyard, all these cheap chain hotels, the breakfast is absolutely terrible. Now, I understand that in order to have a good breakfast, we'd have to pay a little bit more money. And I am perfectly okay with that. I think that they should charge for hotel breakfast, and those who want to pay for it can pay for it, and those who don't, don't have to. They can go get McDonald's. But I stayed at a Hampton Inn. And the food, I mean, it was so bad. It was just like, they. I understand they, in their mind, they think, well, we have to give it away, so we have to make it cheap. 
And that's exactly what they do. You go to, I hate to say it, I hate to say it, but you go to Europe and you stay in hotels, breakfast is phenomenal. Even in Nicaragua, third world country, second poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, you go stay at a hotel for 30, 40, 50 bucks a night, and the next morning, you get cooked to order breakfast. You get two eggs, some bacon, some avocado, some cheese, some rice and beans, some coffee, and maybe some fruit included in the price. I mean, why can't we do that? I would rather have freshly cooked ingredients than this piles of processed things kept hot in a chafing tray only to like instantly cool and be gummy once you put it on your plate. You know, these frozen pastries that are ice cold that have some gelatinous fruit product in the middle of them. You know, I think that the people who put these breakfasts together must tell the food service guys, hey, we want the absolute cheapest pastries you have. We don't care about the quality. And if there's one thing I can tell these hoteliers, it's, hey, bro, we actually do care. We care. If you can't afford to include it in the price, charge a little extra or or cut some off the price and just put cereal and milk out there. I remember back in the day before hotels had breakfasts, you could get like a bagel, cereal, coffee. That would be fine. Maybe some fruit. That would be preferable. Give me $5 a night off and give me the bagels and fruit and milk and cereal and coffee. But don't give me the gummy sausage patty product that's just thin and gooey. <laughs> I don't know why. I was just I had an epiphany when I was sitting there eating my nasty hotel breakfast. I might abandon hotel breakfast. You know what else I've given up on? I abandon airport food. I refuse to eat airport food. Except for there's one place, and that's uh, Papacitos in Houston Airport. I will eat their food because they have the same food that they have in their restaurant. So I will eat there. I will also eat at fast food at a, at a hotel, but I will not eat at like these little one-off bars in, <laughs> in, in uh, airports. The food is so gross. When we were flying back from Amarillo last week, Kale, my business partner, we, we he ate at two different airport places, and both places he was dis, dissatisfied and grumpy. And I'm like, I'd rather just go hungry. I would rather just wait because you only get to eat so many meals in your life. And I would rather wait and stall it out and eat a good meal than eat a nasty meal and then be full of nasty food. And then you got robbed of one of your limited meals for the rest of your life. And with that, I will end my rant on how terrible hotel breakfasts are. And also, that's going to wrap up today's show. I appreciate you listening to Life in Paradise podcast. I hope you learned something. Hope you laughed. Hope you didn't laugh at me. Hope you laughed with me. Hope you had or are having a great weekend. We got some much-needed rain here in Corpus. I think it's the first time it's rained in a few months, so everything's kind of flooding around my house. But it's good. I'm not complaining. You know you're getting old whenever you say things like, yeah, we needed the rain. We needed it. It's raining, but, man, we needed it. (laughs) Whenever you start recognizing that you need rain, You're either an old soul or you're an old man. Maybe I'm both. I don't know. Regardless, I appreciate you listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. I hope everyone has a great week coming up. I encourage all of you to go out there, 
Speak your mind respectfully. Don't be afraid of your opinions. Own your thoughts. Be nice to old people. Stay in touch with family members. You never know when you might lose them. Don't sweat the petty stuff, and don't pet the sweaty stuff. Thanks again for listening to Life in Paradise podcast. Till next time, keep it tranquilo.